Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Dear Black Girl. Now, if you're new to the show, Dear Black Girl is a podcast that highlights the stories of black women by using music. Now, each guest picks five songs that either tells their life journey or their career journey, and they share with us on our platform. Um, if you like the podcast, please be sure to subscribe and rate us in the iTunes store. So, today's guest was a part of our event back in May. We made her, she was a panelist, and she opened up and shared her story. If you missed the event or if you weren't in New York and able to attend, well, today is your opportunity to learn more about her. Um, She's super dope. She's a PR guru, a young legend in the making. She's accomplished so much throughout her career, and she's going to tell us all about it today. So, dear Black Girl, meet Savannah Britt. Hey, hey, hey. Now, tell everyone a little bit more about yourself. So I am 24 years old. I own a PR firm called GP and Brit Public Relations. Uh, my firm focuses on different fashion, entertainment, and lifestyle projects. Um, you know, keeps me busy. I do everything from digital marketing to content creation to project management. Um, and it's been very rewarding. And it's so funny because you started out with your own magazine. You started out in journalism and publication and you just switched everything up in college. Yes. So let's get to the beginning where you started out. What made you want to start a magazine of all things? So I actually got my first paid job when I was nine years old. I was doing children's book reviews for mm-hmm. a local newspaper. Um, and eventually the newspaper folded and I was unemployed. <laughs> and I just always had that passion for writing. I was a big fan. Um, at the time we had 17. We had Teen Vogue. Um, I think the other one was YM Magazine. And I just really liked writing and I just wanted to continue forward with it. And I just naturally decided to start my own publication. And that turned into like something really big because yes. it gave you a lot of opportunities. It definitely and did. A lot of features and everything. So how did you get into PR? Um, I got into PR because working in publishing, like oftentimes I was in contact with a lot of PR professionals, you know, when it came to interviewing artists or going to events. And I just naturally started to fall in love with that job description. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew after a certain point that publishing wasn't going to be like my end all be all. And I used the opportunity of going to college as my opportunity to branch off into PR. And I pursued it like head on freshman year. So who was your first client your freshman year? My first client was a girl named Mimi. She was on Bad Girls Club. I actually reached out to her before she was on the show. Um, back then, I had Instagram. And Instagram didn't even have DMs at that point. So <laughs> I think I was in the comment section with it. <laughs> and uh, we ended up communicating and just moved forward with that, you know. So it was cool. So what kind of work did you end up doing for Mimi and how did that help you get other clients? I did image consulting with her and some brand building. She was dealing with a pretty big um, crisis management at the time. Um, She was publicly, you know, dating Justin Bieber. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things surrounding that. And then, you know, I just started to build up contacts and clients and just, you know, associates through working with her. And then that just led me to my next client, which was Smoke Dizza. So look at Instagram out here, social media period, out here helping people get opportunities. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's a new medium and it's really helpful. And I know you, you've helped a lot of other people on different projects. What's one of your favorite projects you've worked on? Uh, this is a toughie. Uh, I would have to say Ryan Leslie. Um, Ryan's just such a smart guy and it was just such a learning experience working with him. Um, you know, we were working together on his app called Disruptive Multimedia, uh, which he's since changed the name to Superphone. Um, and, you know, Ryan was just, 
you know, he was a ringleader as far as like where tech and music, you know, you look at all these streaming platforms now and we have Spotify, which is bigger than ever, you know, Hove got title and Ryan was just at the forefront of tech and music. So there was just so much to have been learned at that time period. Um, he definitely taught me about just like how the industry is just such a numbers driven game and just yes. data and research and, you know. He's he's amazing because he he's a um, dimaxium sleeper, so he only sleeps like three hours a day. So he's like busy working, cooking, thinking, conceptualizing all other twenty one hours of the day. So that was just something different for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I re- I think I realized he was a genius when um, he dropped that song "Gibberish." Right, and it's a bop, and it doesn't have words. <laughs> no, but it like it, it actually does have words. Like it's it sounds like he's not saying anything, but the more and more I can listen to, it, I was like, oh, there's actually lyrics in this song <laughs> somewhere in between. Yeah, <laughs> he's and the fact that he just made a song that everyone loves that legit has no words just shows like, oh, he's genius. Right, <laughs> his creativity has no bounds. So what's been one of the hardest things working in your fields thus far for you? Um, Working in PR, it's just ever-evolving. I can't stress that enough. Like, you know, from the moment I even started college to where media has gone now, it's just rapidly changing. You see so many publications going from print to online. You see so many online publications failing. Um, Social media is the new blog space. So as far as media, it's it's changing. The journalists are constantly changing from outlet to outlet. Um, so it's, it's super fast paced. Um, there's also a lot of technological components that have, you know, changed over the past five or six years that are changing the game. Um, you know, all those streaming platforms and the streaming wars. It's just, there's a lot. I tell people all the time in in PR, technology and methodology is constantly changing. So Mm -hmm. it's important to stay ahead of the curve and do your market research. So do you find nowadays, do you have to pitch to streaming services? Yeah, you do. Yeah, playlist pitching. That's crazy. (laughs) Right. Seriously, like streaming services are the new publications because that's where people discover their music at these days. I know, but it's so interesting because in my head, it's so easy a pitch to like a blog or a website or even like a publication because you'll just give them like a write-up this and the other how in the world do you pitch to a streaming service the same way you would pitch to a media outlet you know um i always tell clients when we're pitching music there has to be some sort of call to action why would they want to cover it you know what's the why of this all is there a new album coming did you just drop this song you know uh is there a special producer who's a part of it like you know there's always a pitch so even when you're pitching playlist curators there's always a pitch oh wow (laughs) okay let's get into your songs we're gonna start off with song number five um ugk uh international players anthem I think that that is one my favorite hip hop song, and it was when I fell in love with hip hop. Um, just Andre 3000's wordplay is just crazy, and that alone just kind of opened up the floodgates to where I'm at now. I have an embarrassing Andre 3000 so- story. <laughs> Ooh, let's well, hear it's not it. it's not embarrassing. I'm just upset that I played myself. So I was walking in Soho, um, maybe a week after my birthday with my friend. And we you know we're walking up Houston and I just see this guy dressed bummy, like super bummy just walking. But then like I see his face and I'm staring dead in his face like, I know this man. And I don't know how I know this man, but I know him. Oh my goodness. And I'm just looking. 
And we walk up to each other, and I'm just like, that's Andre 3000. There's no way in hell that's not Andre 3000. And I'm looking dead in his face, and he's looking dead in mine. And he, like, he has like his headphones on, but there's no music playing. So he's looking to see if I recognize him. And I'm just looking. And then like in my head, Andre 3000 is still super young. I see like the small gray patch here, and I'm just like, nah, he's too old. He can't be Andre. Andre don't got gray hair. That's how it's right. Andre's like an alien, so I don't expect yeah. him to age. I would so imagine. I expect him to look the same way I've always seen him. And I just kept walking. So my best friend's right next to me. He sees the same thing. He waits till he passed by. He was like, that was Andre 3000. And I stopped and I was like, do I go back? Do I go grab him? Do I take a picture? And I was like, nah, I think I'm going to rinse him again later in the future. <laughs> Sometimes it'd be like that. You know, working in industry, you meet certain people, you're like, just today's not the day. Did you say this was in Soho? This was in Soho. This was like right up the block. Because I've heard of people having Soho sightings of him before. Yes. So So I think he lives in Soho. Okay. Then that makes sense. Yeah. Because I've definitely heard that from several people. I'm like, where's my sighting? (laughs) It just randomly happened. I was so upset with myself. (laughs) So upset. Because in my head, I was like, yo, I can't wait until I meet Andre 3000. And I saw him and I just missed that whole moment. I was like, never again. Like, I'm going to rinse him again, so I just don't know when. Was that the first Andre 3000 verse you heard? No. Um, well, see, I grew up listening to a lot of, like, my, my brother was, like, a hip-hop connoisseur. So mm-hmm. I would, like, listen to all his music. Like, he'd have Nas and he'd have Hove. But um, I just remember listening to that and just being like, wow, this hip-hop stuff is, like, much deeper than the music. Just mm-hmm. the wordplay. I don't know. Just, like... It stuck with me, like, I, to this day. I think I went to a wedding and someone played that song. I just saw somebody on my Snap the other day at a wedding, and that was the, the wedding song. <laughs> and I was like, uh, like I don't know, this like is awkward. Right, that's what I said. I'm like, it's kind of creative, but at the same time, the lyrics are, like, awkward. Right. Like, it's just, like, the tone you're trying to set. Right. But, I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, very creative. <laughs> song number four. Um, I probably have to say, like, I'm, I'd say maybe Through the Rain by Mariah Carey, um, just because nobody knows, but um, I took voice lessons my whole life, mm-hmm. and Mariah Carey was always my favorite artist, and I just always looked up to her. Like That was like probably like my favorite Mariah Carey song. So what made you stop taking voice lessons? Um, I just fell off of it. Like I literally stopped probably like, I started when I was like eight years old, and I stopped like sophomore, junior year of high school. Um, I just got busy with life, but, you know, I'm behind the scenes again cooking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of, like, you wanted to sing, has she been influential in other ways? Yeah, because I always liked, well, honestly, it was just always the music. I love her attitude, but um, Mariah's range is, like, so reminiscent of, like, Minnie Ripperton. So I always felt like Mariah was, like, the Minnie Ripperton of our generation, mm-hmm. and I had a range like that when I was younger. Like, I could hit those falsetto notes. So Okay. You know, it's not how it used to be, but coming soon. (laughs) Soon, you just got to practice. But I I love her range. Her range is, like, incredible. And it's, like, funny because every generation has one like that. There was a Minnie Ripperton. There's a Mariah. Now everybody says, like, Ariana Grande Mm -hmm. has, like, that range, you know. I try to make that comparison. So do you think, how do you think your journey would have been had you instead stuck with music and not going through like having a publication mm-hmm. and PR like you just focused on music mm, I'm not sure I feel like you know music is really hard to get into 
Um, you know, I mean, it's, I guess it's a little bit easier now, you know, with the streaming platforms and everything, but like to actually be a musician, it takes a lot of work, you know, and a lot of time. And, you know, I've always been focused on my shmoney and, uh, <laughs> you know, put myself in that right position. So I think that that's also why I kind of had shifted my focus, like focusing on the PR and, and, and getting to the money. And I knew that in the back of my mind, I'd always go back to that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. My life could be totally different if I focus on the music. Maybe I'd be like a Disney kid. No, but that's funny because um, I saw you put up a snap that someone shared of you, and it's like, Savannah's always thinking about money. Always. <laughs> There's always ways to get that money, you know? So what's the importance of, like, financial freedom to you? Um, financial freedom is just the end goal, you know? Um, you know, I went to college and everything, and I graduated with a lot of debt, and I look back at the, just the structure of, you know, the system and how it was just like this like vicious cycle of, you know, especially in America, you know, going to the university in America is so expensive. So there's mm-hmm. this vicious cycle of, you know, your middle class, you take out these loans, you go to college, then you work your whole life paying back that debt to college only to like slightly push yourself forward from the previous generation that you've come from, you know? So to me, financial freedom is uh, that's ultimately like what we're all looking for. You know, I, I don't I don't see myself paying back my student loans for the rest of my life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm in I'm in this music entertainment stuff. But, you know, I'm thinking about like, you know, real estate, commercial real estate, stocks and bonds, you know, just being able to really set up my um, future. So what's the advice you would give to people that are trying to like figure it out mm-hmm. as, as far as like budgeting and taking those steps to become financially free? from their everyday surroundings? Um, I think it's knowing like just the happy medium of doing what you love, but also being realistic. Um, I dove into entrepreneurship straight when I got to college and, you know, I was like dead broke trying to make it all happen at times. You know, my parents, they would help me out from here to here from time to time. But, you know, I didn't have a job in undergrad. So, you know, I really just dove right into it. But I had that freedom because I was on I had that safety net of being at a college campus. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) I wasn't like pushed out into the real world, like on my own. So, um, you know, I tell people like it's okay to have a nine to five, but also still be pursuing your dreams and entrepreneurship um, because you have to fund it somehow Mm -hmm. so I think just having that happy happy medium and like understanding like where you're at on the spectrum and then just understanding that like your wins are like so relative you know like I've accomplished so much so far in my life but like there's so much more to go like there's so many more goals on my checklist that I'm ready to check off so you know you know being proud of yourself but also like humble because like it's only up from your last accomplishment Yes. And speaking of being an entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is, it sounds amazing, Mm -hmm. but it's super hard. It is. (laughs) What were some of your early struggles when you first started your business? Um, Definitely the age thing, because I started right when I got to college. So, you know, it's really hard for people to take you seriously when you're only 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, I myself probably would, you know, have a hard time (laughs) taking an 18 or or 19 year old serious, but I'm also open-minded because I know that there's a lot of me's out there that are untapped. Um, So age, I definitely struggled with like ageism in the workplace. Um, You know, also everybody understands whether you're working for yourself or whether you're interning, you're going to have to go through that phase of not getting paid. So, you know, there was definitely that (laughs) the brokenness, (laughs) 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 but you know, everybody has to go through it because that's what builds your portfolio. So 
everybody has to work for free at some point. But it's just weird now with social media. A lot of these, you know, prospective interns feel so entitled to get paid. And I'm like, you don't understand. I didn't get paid at one point. The mentors that I learned from, they didn't get paid at, at one point. Yeah. We all kind of have to go through it. It's kind of like a slight hazing sort of thing to get into the industry. Yeah. The whole... Um I think, and that's also kind of what I hate, because, like, there is, like, a generation that's still within a millennial bracket that just feels like, if I'm doing this, I have to get paid. And because of that generation, the entire millennial generation gets <laughs> um, labeled with that. Like, no, there's levels to our generation. Right, right. <laughs> like, we're not all just one level at all. Right. But what, what was the turning point for you within your career? Like, okay, this is going to work me being my own entrepreneur, I can survive like this. I think it was that point of just understanding my value where I felt comfortable enough to charge what I thought my value was. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, when I was a freshman and, you know, running around and creating pitches with people who I didn't even know at the time, like writers that, you know, I had to work years to build relationships with and brands, um, you know, my services, they were, they were not a value at that point. Like, mm-hmm. if somebody were to pay me the retainer fee that I'm getting paid now, I probably would not have been able to deliver as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So just reaching that point where it's like, I have a s- certain skill skill set that is uh, worth billable hours. And, and you know, journeying off and being able and being comfortable to charge it. Song number three. Uh, I'd probably say If by David O., um, I've recently been tossed into the whole Afrobeat scene. I've been traveling to Africa, spending a lot of time out there, and I just love Afrobeats. And I think that If by David O was what kicked it off for me. So explain the whole Afrobeat scene. So Afrobeats is, to me, um, it's kind of like an extension of like dancehall and reggae because mm-hmm. there's some similarities, you know, between the sounds. Um and, you know, it's really booming right now in Africa and globally. It just, I feel like America is like the last place to like catch on. Because <laughs> you go anywhere else in the world, they're playing those songs in the club. And even now I'm starting to notice like in American clubs, they'll start to play it. Maybe there's like an African segment that they're starting to play, but it's mm-hmm. definitely not mainstream, you know? Yeah. I couldn't just turn on the radio and just like hear Afro beats necessarily, <laughs> but it's booming internationally. And the music is amazing. Like it just has such a vibe. It's so melodic. Um, there's a lot of positive messages and it's coming and it's going to hit us full speed. Trust me. Yeah. My um, friend, she's been doing this like Afrobeat one-on-one playlist. And I was listening to it today and I talked to her, like, this makes me feel like I'm already on vacation. Right. <laughs> right. Seriously. I listen to it every day because of that. It's, it's such a, I don't know, I'll not explain it, but it's just a happy, like, I'm in the sun. It could be a whole blizzard outside, but you just feel like you're in the sun as you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So what influence do you feel like you're, you're going to be able to have on this Afrobeat movement? I think I'm just that perfect bridge between the Afrobeats market and mainstream America market because I put in so much time here in the U.S. So I've been going out there now and networking with a lot of people in that market. And, you know, just being an American who has this set of experience here from the States, like, you know, it, there's it's only collaborative at that point. Like there's so many ways to connect the dots because they're looking to break it, break out here. So I have more than enough resources to do so. So it's been a lot of fun. So what's been the difference working overseas and versus working here? I feel like there's so much more open-minded over there. You know, here in the United States, we're just used to this one script. Mm -hmm. And 
people don't want to let you in. You know, it's, it's hard to get in at some of these labels. It's hard to get in with some of these brands. Um, I've worked really hard here to build up those relationships only to go to the Africa and Europe. And they're like, let's do it. I'm down. You have all these American resources and outlets. Like, let's do it. You know, like they're super open-minded. Um, there's no ladder. I really have to like work up to be honest. Do you think there's more open-mindedness over there? Because for some reason, America's like the, the, the market mm-hmm. that all musicians want to pop in. Like they can be popping in Europe. They can be popping in Africa, but it's just something about the American music market. Do you think they're like more open-minded because they know that um, it's harder to get over here and mm-hmm. so they're willing to try anything? Well, I think that like Afro beats come so naturally out there for them because like it's an extension of like their traditional music, you know, now they've just added like synthesizers and, you know, 808s, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but basically I think out here in the United States, we have, we as a consumer have to mature sonically. You know, there's a reason why grime is not mainstream here. Americans can't even digest it because we're just not even used to hearing that accent. Um, same thing goes with Afro beats. I think that we have to mature. It's happening slowly, but surely you can even look at the Latin market. I think that's a perfect example of how Mm -hmm. it's like really having a splash right now in the United States. The same thing's going to happen with Afro beats. We see it happening with K-pop and K-hip-hop. Um, I think there was a there was a K-pop band that won an award at the VMAs last year, which says so much where we've come as Americans from the consumer standpoint. So I think it's just, you know, uh, an acquired taste. Song number two. Um, I probably say like Jay-Z song cry. Um, One, it's my favorite Jay-Z song. Two, I loved when Keisha Keisha Cole remixed it and... um, did you change? So I don't know. It's just like a combination of like, I love Jay-Z and I love that remake of it. And uh, Jay-Z is like one of my biggest inspirations for what I do. How has Jay-Z been influential to you? I think Jay-Z is the exact definition of evolution. I look at where he started to where he's at now and he's just grown. Like his growth and progression is just like unmatched. Mm -hmm. Um, I listened to so many of his interviews. Uh, I listened to an interview he did with Warren Buffett. I think he did it for like Bloomberg or Forbes. It was one of those. Forbes. You know what I'm talking about? And he talked about how when he was a kid in elementary school, his teacher took the class on a field trip to go see a house. You know, he's from the projects and never saw a real house in real life. So he said that that experience alone changed his perspective on life in the world. And then you just look at where he's at now. And I'm just like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like that is truly the definition of the American dream. Yes. Talk about a house with the white picket fence and two and a half kids. Like, what's up? (laughs) And then also, I will say not only in like his interviews, you can hear the, um, evolution in his music mm-hmm. when he opens his mouth i listen i'm like obama was campaigning with him so like enough said <laughs> <laughs> you know yes but it's so weird because like also when you um listen, listen to his interviews it's kind of funny because they're like kind of poetic because like he's 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 talking but he's not always talking straightforward right which is always interesting right. to see because like he he's talking and he's explaining stuff but like he's explaining metaphorically and it's never straightforward at all and just like damn it not i even gotta like dissect what you mean by when you said this <laughs> yeah his wordplay his metaphors are crazy um even 444 like to me that was very uh, oh that was direct yeah. and explicit from uh the message yes and it just came at such a perfect uh it was so, climate 
yeah, it was vulnerable. It was personal. It was something that everyone could relate to. For sure. And yeah, I still bump that too. It's that. Me too. That and Watch the Throne are the two I go back and forth with. Me too. I love Watch the Throne. I do too. Especially track number 11, Why I Love You So. That shit's real. (laughs) Facts. I was like, yo, that was a real ass track. (laughs) Ninjas in Paris, that's my favorite. And Otis, that was like an amazing song that sampled from Otis Redding. Ooh, child, girl. That album, man. So that was that album was made amazingly produced. Mm-hmm. So, what's one of the biggest lessons you think you have learned from just watching and listening to Jay? Definitely, like that constant like idea of just like leveling up. Mm-hmm. Like, just when you think you've done something, there's another step that you can take. So that kind of goes back to like what I was saying. Like the accomplishments just become so relative after a point because it's like Jay Z founded Rock Nation. And then you you think that's a big deal. He's got some of the biggest entertainers in music and sports signed to Rock, Rock Nation. And then he goes and he buys a streaming service. It's like, talk about the level up. You know what I mean? Just having a hand in like everything. Right, right. So it's just like, just be open-minded, thinking outside the box and just being ahead of the trends for sure, for sure. Um, who would have thought that we would be here with streaming services? Like, I remember... LimeWire and Napster and like look where we've come with streaming services I'm thinking about freaking playlists like right. I remember when iTunes first came out and you can make your own playlist like I never who would have thought playlists would be such a big thing now right we live in a playlist culture now yes. you know um, you look like LMA's boot up that song's been out forever and it just caught traction and that's okay because we live in this time period where it's like hey like when you find out about it is when you find out about it and yes. the awareness is only going to grow from there yes i remember finding bryson tiller's don't i was this was 2014 i found it i was living in miami homegirl of mine showed it to me on soundcloud it had a lot of plays like you know it was gaining traction but then it's like bryson tiller blew up i think like a year and a half later after that it's just like You know, that song had been sitting on SoundCloud for a little minute. So that's just like interesting, like the culture we live in. You know, back in the day, if a song was a year old, they were going to like toss it essentially. Yeah, like something could be out for two years and then boom, it just blows up out of nowhere. Yep. Song number one. I'm going to have to say Chain of Fools by Aretha Franklin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was one of the first covers I recorded actually back because like when I took voice lessons as a kid, I... I didn't I'm not like classically trained so like I didn't take those kind of voice lessons where like you're in front of like the piano doing you know chords all day Mm -hmm. Um, I learned in a studio setting so Pro pro Tools and Logic and all that good stuff so uh, Chain of Fools was like one of the first ones that I recorded Uh, it was a cover I did Um, that was also because of like the household I grew up in my dad Literally, you come to my house, my dad has over a thousand CDs. Wow. No gas. I'm trying to get like a news crew to like pull up to the house one day because it's it's different. He has a <laughs> lot of CDs. He collects CDs and vinyls. So um, my dad introduced me to Aretha early on and I just quickly fell in love with her and her voice and her range as well. I was talking about Mariah previously. Aretha's range is crazy. Um, and she was also one of the reasons that I wanted to dive into music and entertainment as well. Um and yeah, R.I.P. Aretha. We just really lost a legend. It's crazy to think about. I know. And I, I, was, I was watching like videos of her. She was so sassy and I liked it. Yes. <laughs> she was like one of the ringleaders of like black feminism. Yes. You know? And she, she was a true diva. Yeah, for sure. I want to say it was her who made a comment about because I can't remember who it was, but someone was like, 
how they didn't like the paparazzi on their face and just stalking their lives and just that other they wanted peace and quiet. And and she was just like, sweetheart, this is what you signed up for. You wanted to be a diva. You wanted to live your life out in the public. This is what you signed up for. If you don't want to do this, then quit. Right. And I was just like, sheesh. Sounds about right. <laughs> Her attitude was all I needed and more, you know? So what's one of the greatest les- lessons you've learned thus far throughout your career? Just don't take things personal. Mm-hmm. You know, working in the entertainment industry, like, you know, people will do some of the wildest stuff. I can't stress that enough. And you just have to learn not to take it personal. It's business and there's personal life. And they're just not one of the same. So the moment that you accept that is the moment that you have power over every single person that you walk into a room with because nothing is personal at that point. Like you understand that business is business. So when did you have to learn that? Mm. I've worked with people who I've helped push their careers to crazy heights and I can't even get a text back or a call back these days. That happens to a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, you know? So I remember first being hit with it and just being like, what? Like, are you serious right now? But you just realize, like, you know, not everybody's built like you. Not everybody has the same moral compass as you. So you just have to keep pushing forward. How does that keep you from, like, being jaded? Because, like, I know a lot of people, when that happens to them, they kind of become jaded or they, like, they keep things in the back of their head. Because I've seen this happen. Like, I've seen people that um, where when they started out, maybe they didn't get an opportunity or maybe it's like they were overlooked. They just kept it into the back of their heads. That's, like, when they got to, like, where they wanted to be, they just still had that pettiness Mm -hmm. there how do you like help people avoid having that um i'm just too grown to be petty Mm -hmm. like i'm just so over petty really won't get you very far you know because i think that that petty attitude um it's weird because we like live in this culture where like petty is being praised all the time. Yes. And it's just like being petty is not going to get you it's, anywhere. It's not pretty at all. Yeah. Being petty is like mean spirited to me. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm such a positive person and any room I walk into, I just want to spread light and love. So, um, you know, when people do me dirty, like being petty is not even my first thought. Like I'm just going to throw love your way and hope it comes back to me tenfold, you know? Cause I will say you, people, you will run into a lot of that in the industry where people are just petty for no reason. reason. <laughs> no reason. It's like, okay, that well, that was unnecessary. Right. So what do you want your legacy to be? I want people to just know that I was spreading positivity. Like, that's literally what I do, what I do for. You know what I'm saying? Like, just adding positivity to the culture. Um, and I really care about the youth as well. Um, just spreading positivity and just educating the youth. Because um, we live in this time it time period this climate right now where there's so much negativity you know you look at politics and you look at the direction in which music has gone i would love to just be a pioneer and spreading positivity that's what i'm here to do i will say music has become very depressing it has i don't know and i feel like that's why there's so many depressed kids right now and i know it's like a phase because everything in music is a phase like Mm -hmm. everything it doesn't matter it's all a, it's all the phase, mm-hmm. but I'm just like wondering, like, when do you think this phase will be up? You know, I, I think about that sometimes. I'm so confused because the internet is still so new, mm-hmm. and I think we all forget about that. Like, yeah, I was four years old, five years old when we had dial-up internet, so like I remember that time period and to see where the internet has gone from then to now and where music's gone from then to now. Um, the internet right now it doesn't have a filter. 
So I'm not really sure where it's going. I don't know if this is just a cycle because we're literally at this point where just human nature has led us here. You know, humans like looking at a train wreck. So that's why you see all these negative videos go viral and negative messages in music. And now the kids have access to it. And of course, the kids are going to gravitate towards the worst stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. So I don't know. I can't I can't call it. That's why I'm constantly keeping my ears and eyes open to what's next. Okay. So before we go, I always ask my guests to leave a Dear Black Girl open letter. Okay. Dear Black Girl, the time is now more than ever. The world wants us and needs us in every setting and facet of life. So attack it and go for it full on. Signed, Savannah Britt. 